you came to the right place and we are back. Well, at least I'm back. Maybe you didn't go any place. I hope you've managed to keep up with the podcast while I was away on vacation. I appreciate your patience while we had some, we often call them repeats or best ofs. I just hope they were helpful. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be away. I'm grateful for the opportunity to to have some things to provide for you in, in my absence, and I hope they were helpful. But you're here now, and I'm here, and, and vacation season is still in full swing, I think. Although in my neck of the woods, it's been winding down because school started earlier this week, and that kind of changes everybody's plans. But, but you're here, I'm here, God's here, and we're going to share together again today. And he's going to stretch us in his direction, stretch us to his high calling. He's going to help us have faith in him because we want to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And that's what we try to help each other with, absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. That makes all the difference because if we have that kind of confidence, we will live our lives differently. And before we get too deep into things today, and I'll give you a little idea of where I have been and what I've been up to, in case you're interested, everybody asks when you get back, you know, well, what'd you do? Where'd you go? How was it? But before that, I want to give a shout out to someone I've never met and don't know. But you know, when you get back from vacation, you usually have a stack of mail. I didn't have too much this time. I was kind of grateful for that. But there was a very nice note from someone. I don't know who this person is. He or she sent a nice note of appreciation for the podcast. I didn't really ever expect anybody to send me a note about such things, but this person tracked me down. I guess it's really true. You can run, but you can't hide. Well, thank you so much for that nice note. It really helped when I got back to the office to get back into the swing of things. And it was very encouraging to know that that you find this time together helpful. Uh, the closest I know, in case you're wondering if it was you, well, you know who it was if it was you, but for all of the rest of you, the closest I know is the postmark on the envelope was St. Paul, Minnesota. And they used to call that God's country. When I was a kid, we went to vacation in northern Minnesota uh, to a resort in northern Minnesota near a town that was really only a wide place in the road called Max, Minnesota. So I have warm remembrances of Minnesota. I love those times when we went up there. So to that listener, thank you. I appreciate your kind words and your encouragement. And really what we try to do is encourage each other here. I hope you find this time that we spend together useful. I'm really glad for my church, Diplomat Wesleyan, that makes it possible for us to do this. They've been very supportive of this effort, and I appreciate that. I hope you do as well, because we do this not for our benefit, but for your benefit. We want you to benefit from this time, and we hope you find it encouraging and helpful and challenging and stretching and sometimes maybe irritating in the right sense of that, because sometimes God does irritate us to get us moving in his direction. So what happened while I was away? What was I doing? Well, I wasn't doing anything great and dramatic. I, I just went on vacation like so many other people do. And in Florida, where I live at least, in southwest Florida, usually the direction we go on vacation is north. And true enough, I headed north. I actually drove north on this vacation. Uh, it was a long way, but I kind of liked to drive, and I wanted to see some things along the way. All told, you may be surprised at this. I wasn't because I kind of expected it. But 
By the time I got home, I had driven a little more than 3,600 miles. And that's a long drive, but I enjoyed it. I broke it up into pieces that I could manage, except for one day I kind of overdid it, but that's just what I do sometimes. But I drove north. Takes a long time to get out of Florida when you live as far south as we do. But I drove north. I went through Highlands, North Carolina. Well, you go up through Georgia before you get there, of course, up I-75. The road that leads north out of southwest Florida is Interstate 75. And so I went up that way and, and uh, around Atlanta and over to Highlands, North Carolina. I'd been there before. There were some waterfalls over that way I kind of wanted to see. So I went through there, had lunch at a little shop in Highlands, North Carolina, and then drove through mountain roads, which whether you have waterfalls or not, I like the mountain roads. It's just kind of fun to drive those curvy roads and, and see the mountains. And so that's what I did over toward Franklin and then up to Cherokee, North Carolina. And the reason I went up that way was because almost every time, not every time, but almost every time I drive north up through Atlanta on I-75, I like to take a detour through the Smoky Mountains because I just love the Smoky Mountains. I enjoy going there. I have always liked mountains as long as I can remember, and I enjoy there. So I, I went up to Cherokee and then into the Great Smoky Mountains National Park at the uh, Kona Lufty Visitor Center. And it's a real nice visit visitor center on that south side of the Newfound Gap Road. That road leads from Cherokee, North Carolina, over to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You may be familiar with some of that area. Well, I stop every time at the Okona Lefty Nature, or Nature Center, Visitor Center. I stop to see the nature. And um, I've, I've enjoyed that stop so much. It really seems kind of unusual to me that I enjoy it so much. But there's a, a river right there, the the Okona Lefty River. And I like to walk along that. I made the long walk this time along that river. I'd never done that before. It was uh, a mile and a half out and a mile and a half back. So it was a nice walk. I enjoyed it very much. It was a hot and muggy day. That wasn't quite what I would, was hoping for, but hey, it's summer. And I, I just had a great time. I saw people wading out into the river fishing. There were people tubing down the river. It was a great beginning to this vacation. That was the second day that I on my vacation that I got there. I really had hoped at the visitor center to see some elk, but there were none around. And that's, you know, one of those things sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. I've seen them at various times of the day on various trips through there, but there were no elk in the fields there by the visitor center this time. I asked about it, one of the people there in the visitor center and well, what can they tell you? Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. They don't really know. And uh, that's to be expected. So that was a little bit disappointing, but it's always fun to stop there because I just love the river, the sound of it running by, uh, out away from things. It's just a terrific spot. Uh, they have a mountain farm museum there. If you want to walk through, it's a recreated village, you might say, of, of the way it used to be in the Great Smoky Mountains. And you can go see some of the, the uh, preserved buildings from years ago. It's really a, a great stop. If you're ever in that area, I recommend the Smoky Mountains. It's, it's just terrific. Nothing, nothing like it. And a, a great, great visit. Well, I didn't see any elk at the visitor center, but I headed on up north on that gap road, headed toward Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. And lo and behold, I'd just gone 
very short distance, a couple of curves. And, and I knew that these fields were there, but on both sides of the roads were fields. We might refer to them as pastures. I don't know that they make, made them to be pasture land, but they're grassy areas. And to my delight, out in the field were some elk. Now, not a whole bunch. I saw at the visitor center some years ago, half the herd, their estimate of, of how many were in the park. By my count, there were about half the herd there that day. This was only four or five. I'm, I'm not quite certain how many there were. I didn't get a good enough look. But uh, there they were. And I pulled over to the side like lots of other people do and got out, took some pictures, enjoyed that. I was very surprised when I looked down, not 12 feet from where I stood, there was a baby elk in the brush, just lying down, looking around. I don't know what happened. I know when I drove up, I thought I saw some babies, maybe that had been born in the spring. And then when I got there, I couldn't see them. I thought maybe they were just down over the hill a little bit. It's a little difficult to see there, but I was really surprised to look down and see that elk that close and it kind of well kind of made me hustle and move out of there because i didn't know where mama elk was and i didn't want to risk that but it's great to be out and see what god has created and to enjoy that time i got in the car and drove on across the the gap road it rained that afternoon and it was just a great day i i thoroughly enjoyed it the next morning i went back over to the park i stayed in pigeon forge that night went back over to the park and visited the sugarlands visitor center and then I drove a very interesting loop road uh, called Roaring Fork Motor Nature Trail. If you ever get in that area and you don't want to get out and hike, which I enjoy doing, you can drive this trail and see the mountains up close. You can roll your windows down and listen to things. There are a number of um, trails you can take off of that road. There are some other things that you can see, some, some preserved buildings, several places you can stop. But Anyway, it was it was wonderful to drive through there. I left there and drove north through Tennessee on I-75 again. And again, all roads go north on I-75, it seems like, at least where I'm headed. And uh, drove into Kentucky. And one of the guys at church had told me, well, if you go by Corbin, Kentucky, you should stop at the Kentucky Fried Chicken, the original place where it all started there in Corbin, Kentucky. Well, I was a little ahead of the schedule I had planned for myself, so... I stopped at Corbin, Kentucky at the original Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it was a great time to do that. It was um, mid-afternoon. That's about five minutes off the highway, so it didn't take me too much time. It was really fun to see that. I enjoyed some fried chicken from the very source of all of that. If you ever go to Corbin, Kentucky, you might want to stop in there, or if you're driving by on 75, make a point to stop in. You'll see some interesting things about the Colonel and how Colonel Sanders got it all started and you can enjoy some chicken. Next day, I drove on up to uh, the Bardstown, Kentucky area. Uh, years ago, I thought I had remembered as a child, my parents taking us to Abraham Lincoln's birthplace. And I knew it was there. And so I'd scouted that out and I wanted to go see and remind myself about that. And so, yeah, I drove down to the birthplace and hiked up the, the hill and, and then down the steps from the building where, where the birthplace has been preserved. Now, the inside that building is a cabin that at one time they thought was the actual cabin in which he was born. Later, they've decided that wasn't the actual cabin, but it was much like all the other cabins that would have been built at that time. And it was amazing to, to stand there and remember that was where I'd been, be in that building, because the cabin is inside 
of a larger building to preserve it and to, to realize where our country came from and that the importance of this president started in a place like that in the rural hills of Kentucky. It, it was terrific. I drove on up to Bardstown then and went through my old Kentucky home. I'd heard about that because I'd lived in Kentucky. I'd lived in Owensboro when I was in high school graduated from high school in Owensboro, Kentucky. And I'd heard about my old Kentucky home, but never thought to visit it. Well, this time I decided I'd stop and take a look. And so I got a tour of my old Kentucky home and then headed north to Michigan. That's where my daughter lives. And we were going to visit her for a while. She has a, a small camp house on a, on a lake in a, in a larger camping area called Sandy Pines. And we were going to spend some time there and, and visit with her and with our grandchildren. And so I ended up there, found my way through rural Michigan, which uh, I, to my surprise, my GPS didn't connect through some of that. So I had to figure out how to get there and what that meant. And that wasn't really too hard. Um, you know, it's, it's not exactly supernatural guidance, but, you know, God gives us good sense that we can remember how to how to find places and and he leads us in the way we need to go. I guess I could spiritualize that. I didn't at the time, but you know, even when we don't know which way to go, God can lead us. And I was pretty sure which way to go because I knew north, south, east, and west, and I knew generally where the place was, and I knew there weren't all that many entrances to it, and it was big, so I didn't think I'd miss it. And sure enough, I found my way in spite of the GPS problem. And no matter what problem you have in life, if you want to make a spiritual application, no matter what problem you have in life, God can guide you through it. So don't be discouraged by that. I kind of took it as a challenge and it all worked out real well. We spent some time there, did several kinds of activities with her. She happened to have some time off work. So that was kind of a nice bonus. We went blueberry picking one morning. I don't know if you've ever gone to pick blueberries in Michigan. They have some of the best blueberries I've ever had. And uh, we enjoyed that, got a lot of blueberries in a short time. There was just a whole bunch of them. One of God's best creations was blueberries. And so we enjoyed that very much. Uh, then my wife and I drove up to Fremont, Michigan to visit her brother. And she went to visit her sister who lives in West Michigan as well. And then uh, I left a few days later to drive over to Dublin, Ohio to see my sister. Hadn't been able to see her for a while, so I went and saw my sister and her husband, and they showed me a little bit around their town, the things that had been happening, quite a nice place in Dublin, Ohio. And then I went the next afternoon, I drove down, I had a mission to accomplish. And some of you will appreciate this mission. Um, some of you will just kind of shake your head and wonder about it. But uh, I think it was a year ago, maybe a little more than that, my wife discovered through some friends of hers here in Florida, that there was a a chocolate shop that had several locations in Ohio. Now, I was born in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I had never heard of Esther Price chocolates, but apparently they're very famous and very well-loved. And on a trip that we made up there uh, not quite a year ago, we found Esther Price chocolates and we brought some home. Well, she decided that since I was going to be close by, I should stop there and bring some home. So I found the same chocolate shop again, managed to get the things that she wanted, and uh, away I went. Well, I'd also planned to visit Milford, Ohio, because that's my hometown. That's where I grew up until I was in the ninth grade. And I just kind of like to go by there occasionally and, and drive through and see the places that I remember from when I was a child and, and kind of 
reflect on some of the things that that I remember being so uh, enjoyable about that area, it has changed in ways that it's difficult to describe. I mean, the the growth in population since, well, we moved away in 1969 has been just remarkable. Uh, so many people live in that area, so very different. But I could find the places that I wanted to go, and I found my way around. It's kind of surprised that I found my way around as well as I did because. I wasn't driving when we lived there, but I always paid attention to where we were going. So I kind of had a sense of that in my mind and enjoyed driving around and seeing the church that I grew up in, school that I went to, those kinds of things. And of course, while I was in Ohio, I had to have United Dairy Farmers ice cream. You know, one of God's great gifts to all of us is ice cream. And and I've heard it said, now, I don't know if you've ever heard this, and you may or may not agree with this, but I've heard it said that before the fall in the Garden of Eden, you know, before Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, before that happened, ice cream was a health food. Now, I don't know if that's certain or not, but uh, I like to think so. Well, I had to find United Dairy Farmers ice cream, and I had some ice cream, and I met someone who used to live here near where I do now, who's since moved back north. She's from Milford. And so we were able to get together and have a little bit of conversation around that ice cream. Another guy that um, I had remembered from when I was really young came by and we, the three of us had breakfast the next morning and he filled me in on some things and we caught up on some things. And uh, that was, that was really kind of interesting because I, I had missed a lot of what went on and I still don't really know what happened to cause that area to change so much. But one of the interesting things was this gentleman's mother had just recently turned 100. And I remember her and her family from when I was quite young at church. I knew all of the adults. I could talk to all of the adults. I think that's one of the great things about that church. We who were kids were not left out. We were included and we were in, allowed to talk to everybody. And churches ought to be that way, don't you think? If your church doesn't welcome the children and teenagers into the fellowship. And if you don't have opportunities to talk to them, I would encourage you to find opportunities. Just pick out two or three of those young men and women, those boys and girls, and talk to them every week. Say hi. They're going to look at you funny at first. It's not because you look funny. They're just not used to, some of them aren't anyway, used to talking to grownups, and they don't quite know how to handle that sometimes. But if you ask the Lord to show you which boys and girls need your encouragement, which teenagers could use your encouragement. Just a, a word, a smile, a greeting. So nice to see you here at church today. I'm going to be praying for you this week. Whatever whatever they need that you can do to build them up would be more valuable than you can imagine. So many times in our churches, we separate our boys and girls and our teenagers from adults as though they need to be in a separate room all the time. And one of the benefits I had growing up was I think I knew the names of every person in my church. It wasn't a huge church, and I think I could have talked to all of them. I, I know I didn't talk to all of them regularly, but th that would they would have welcomed my conversation, and they included me, and I think that's a great benefit and blessing. I don't think, you know, the providence of God is one thing, but I don't know that I would really be a pastor today if it hadn't been for those people at that church and welcoming me and encouraging me and giving me opportunities to do things beyond my years, no question about it. Well, this gentleman invited me to go with him to visit his mother, who had just turned 100. So we went. She's in an assisted living facility, and we went to visit her and had a wonderful talk. She's 100 years young, by the way, 
And we had a great time. It was nice to visit with her and see her collection of 116 birthday cards. And she remembered so many things. I don't know if she remembered me. There'd be no reason for her to remember me, but I remembered her. And it just kind of was nice to catch up on those things. Well, from there, I went to the Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky. Now, here's something that I really want to encourage. If you're ever in that area and have the opportunity, make an effort to go visit the Creation Museum. It's a it's a extraordinarily well done place. I mean, visually and in every way, is the the walk up to the museum, the walk out through the garden on the way back to the car, everything about it. And I didn't explore every aspect of it. I just wasn't able to do that. But I saw a lot of it, and it was just extraordinary to, to visit, and and such a such a nice, how should I say, experience to realize that the things people do to honor the Lord and to help people can be done with excellence and be done in a first-class manner. And I just want to really encourage you to, to take the time to do that. They had a bookstore with lots of resources. And I thought when I went that it might be heavy on science because it's creation museum. I thought there might be a lot of um, scientific stuff. And uh, I was kind of thinking I might be a little uh, overwhelmed by that or disappointed by that or something. I just didn't know what to expect. No, it's not because I don't understand science or appreciate it. I, I do understand it pretty well. I don't, I'm not a scientist. Don't make that mistake. But I have studied some advanced science, and, and I appreciate the contribution of science to our world. But the thing that really struck me was how, yes, there was some science there, but in so many respects, the museum was a presentation of the Bible and the Bible story. And it was theological as much as scientific, and it answered people's questions about events in the Bible, uh, about this happening and what does that mean and that happening and how do we understand that and what's the explanation for this. I couldn't have begun to read everything. I just didn't have the time, and, and I just couldn't focus on that. A lot of that stuff I have read in other books as well through my study of the Bible, but you would find it so helpful, I think, as you follow the story of the Bible through that museum and get a sense of the scope of what God has done and is doing in the world and how, how important it is. And this is the other thing that really stood out to me, how important it is to remember, to remember and never forget how the Bible helps us. You see, the Bible guides us into all truth. And we need to acknowledge that the Bible is the truth, and God tells us the truth in the pages of the Bible. Now, I, I would not pretend that a Bible is a math book. That's not, not what I'm getting at. Uh, sometimes people want to make the Bible something it's not. I think we need to respect it for what it is. And one of the things that the Bible does, it helps us integrate all of the knowledge we have in the various academic disciplines and connect the dots in, in the way the world works, in the way life works. And that was one of the interesting things that, that was such a great reminder from that museum, was never forget to always consider what the Bible says and how that impacts our understanding of what people are talking about today. You know, today we have a tendency to put our information in what I'm going to describe here as silos. So if it's bio biology, we say, okay, we'll study biology, and it'll tell us everything we need to know about biology. And if it's physics, we tend to have a place where we put everything related to physics. And so we say, if I have a question about physics, I'm going to look in physics 
resources to find help for that. Or chemistry. I remember studying chemistry in high school. I don't remember much about it, but I studied it. And sometimes we come across a question that relates to chemistry and we think the answer will come from chemistry. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Or maybe psychology. We want to know, well, something about human behavior. Well, so we turn to psychology. What does the psychologist tell us about that? Or, or sociology. Maybe it's related to something how groups fit, fit in or how society works. So we look to sociology to answer our questions. Or engineering or medicine or philosophy. Whatever it might be, I think you understand what I'm trying to describe here. We tend to look at the world in these narrow-focused specialized areas and expect to get the answers to our questions in those places. But what I was reminded of so well from the Creation Museum was that the Bible guides us in all of those places and through all of that information so that we can come out with proper understandings of life, how God made things to be, how things actually are, and what we can do about it. So, for example, let's talk about that. All of us are well aware of all of the controversy related to transgender this and transgender that. And I have great compassion for people who struggle, so this is not an attack on people who struggle with that or who disagree with me. This is a reminder to all of us that when it comes to issues of of gender, and, you know, I've heard people talk about dozens and dozens of potential genders, and I'm going, wow, wait a minute. Well, when we face these kinds of challenges, and when perhaps psychology tells us that this transgender difficulty is real to people, perhaps we need to remind ourselves, now, what does the Bible say about gender? You see, it's one thing to hear from psychology or to hear somebody's personal individual testimony. It doesn't mean that they can't tell us about their experience, but if we're going to understand all of this, then we need to remind ourselves what the Bible says about this so it can lead us into the truth, because the Bible tells us the truth. So when it comes to all of these potential genders or, or the people who say, well, I'm biologically a boy, but I'm certain I'm a girl— well, we need to understand what is God's perspective on that. We have compassion for people, for people who struggle, but we have to understand what's the truth about it. And the Bible is quite clear, amazingly clear. Just start at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and read the story as it unfolds, and you will come to the place that God talks about how he created people, male and female. And there's very specific language that he uses in Genesis to help us understand that very specific. In fact, it's it's the way it's written, and you go read it for yourself. You'll see what I mean. It, it hardly matters which English translation you use. You'll find the same thing. God is so very specific that he created male and female. He created them to reflect his image. They were created people, you, me. People were created in the image of God, male and female. So when we ask ourselves, are there really multiple genders? The answer is uh, no, there's two, because God gave us clarity in that, that there's male and female. Not complicated, not difficult. We can count to two. Well, so then when people begin to say, well, I'm biologically male, but I think I'm a female, then the answer to that also comes out of the Bible, because God was clear that he created people specifically in one way or the other, 
And it's also clear, abundantly clear through the pages of his, of biblical history that God didn't make mistakes when he created people. You know, people get frustrated with their hair color or their lack of hair or their abundance of hair. You know, I don't have too much, so I think I'm kind of privileged that way. I don't have bad hair days. But to be sure, God does not make mistakes in creating us. Bible tells us he saw our unformed bodies. He knew all about us. He knows about us, and he made us the way he did on purpose. And we are a mistake, and he didn't make a mistake in making us biologically male, but we think we're female. No, if he made us biologically male or biologically female, then we are male or female. And the confusion comes from the other rascal who lies to us about it. And that's the deceiver who also deceived Adam and Eve there in the early pages of Genesis. So that's one example of, of what I mean by we need to re always refer back to the Bible for clarity on these things. And when you hear all this confusing stuff and people begin to adopt this perspective or that perspective, uh, just because they think they're smarter than the rest of us, they aren't. They aren't smarter than God. And one of our great benefits is that God has given us his Bible, his scripture, his word, so that we don't fall into confusion. God does not want us to be confused. He does not confuse us. He does not trick us. He does not try to fool us. He is honest with us and straightforward, and we can count on him. We can trust the Bible. And that's one of the messages that I really appreciated about the Creation Museum. It reminds all of us that the Bible helps us when it comes to these kind of confusing things, and it connects the dots for us. Well, there's a lot more I want us to talk about, and it's not all about my trip, but but it is a little bit more about the trip because I want to talk some more about this idea of how the Bible helps us in confusing times just by way of application so we can understand that God gave us the Bible to connect the right dots and to connect the dots rightly. We're going to take a break. We'll come back in just a minute. I'll talk to you then. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com 
liberty and justice for all. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Well, here we are again. Welcome back. So glad you're with us here on the program today. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is, where we stretch each other and challenge each other. We reach to accomplish God's high calling in our lives, and we cultivate faith because faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we were talking just before we took the break about the importance of the Bible and how it connects the dots for us about things that go on and, and how God tells us the truth about things like gender, that there is such a thing as male and there is such a thing as female, and he wasn't confused when he created us. He doesn't intend for us to be confused about how he created us. He tells us the truth, and he wants us to know the truth, and we can get clarity on these things that people want to complicate and confuse. It's the deceiver that tries to complicate and confuse people and to lead people astray, and we don't want to be led astray. We want to follow the direction God has for us and, and benefit from that. And so I was reminding us how the Bible cuts through all of that, and uh, one of the examples we talked about was the transgender thing. Well, I want to talk about another example that that I read about, and I thought, wow, this is interesting. What's going on here? How many people are going to get caught up in this and mixed up and potentially harmed? I, I hope not harmed, but potentially. So I don't know if you follow the things that go on in the world around us. I follow a few things here and there. And one of the things that I happened upon this week was that there was a story that emerged that a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, you may be a Packers fan, you may not be. If you live in Chicago, I know you aren't. But anyway, there was a quarterback, or there is a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers had come back to the team. They were getting started in training camp. And he explained to someone that he had been experimenting with a psychedelic or a hallucinogenic, I'm not sure exactly how you classify it, drug. While he had been away, he had visited South America and, and participated in that drug usage. And he was talking about how wonderful it was and how by using that drug, he had learned to love himself. And, and because he had learned to love himself, he could then love his teammates unconditionally. Hmm. Now, I th thought that's interesting and not really very helpful and potentially confusing because God talks about this idea of love. So if we're going to remind ourselves when we hear these things, we need to think about what the Bible says. This is a good example. Can a drug, that mind-altering drug of some kind, 
really cause us to love ourselves unconditionally? And is that a goal to seek? Should we seek to love ourselves so that we can love other people unconditionally the way he was describing he, his love for his teammates? Well, the Bible doesn't say that we have to learn to love ourselves so we can love others. And I know there's a lot of people who talk about this, but I want, to, I want us to think about it from a little different perspective. Jesus said that the whole law is summed up in the simple concept of love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus never included in any of the comments that I'm aware of any statements about loving yourself. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Well, to me, that really cuts through the clutter of what Aaron Rodgers was struggling with. And it really is answering the question that I think he's asking. It's a terrific, terrific reminder that the Bible helps us sort these kind of things out. Now, it's no secret, and it's not anything that he hasn't talked about, so I'm not beating up on Aaron Rodgers. It's the last thing I would do. But it's been true for a long time that he has a strained, and I guess that's putting it mildly, relationship with his family. He hasn't been in communication with them for a while and has rejected their overtures to try to reestablish that relationship. I don't know what happened to cause that. Never read that. Not my business to know. But I do know because it's publicly uh, available. It's public information that that exists. So I was thinking, okay, could it be that Aaron Rodgers struggles with himself? And he kind of admits that when he said it. The, the drug helped him love himself. Could it be that Aaron Rodgers' struggles with himself is related to that? And I thought, ding, 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 ding. Of course it is. It could be that God is trying to get his attention in a way that he doesn't realize because you cannot live with that. The Bible says what? Honor your father and mother, not push yourself away from them, not cut yourself off from them. It says, honor your father and mother. And one of the things that I would say to Aaron Rodgers is, Aaron, you struggle with these kind of things because you're not doing what God said to do. And whatever happened, whatever the reason, we need to resolve that before God. You need to resolve that before God so that you can re be reconciled to your family and so that you can do what God said, honor your father and mother. You see, the answers to life's deepest issues and arguably the reason he would struggle with loving other people is because there's a there's a hole in his soul where it relates specifically to his parents. And so it's no wonder he might have difficulty with other people. You got to get the first things right. And so that's that's another example of how the Bible reminds us of what we need to know and we shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't dismiss that. We should recognize that when we have life issues, we need to look at what God says. And we need to put our lives in alignment with his prescriptions. In this case, love God, love your neighbor. Follow the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. See, that's how the Bible cuts through the confusion of today and reminds us what really matters. And it's not the answer, uh, I should say, it's not at all the answer to, to seek some kind of mind-altering drugs to somehow get through the, the guilt and the 
confusion that results from broken relationships with one's family. So trust the Bible. Well, I went then from the Creation Museum down to the Ark. Some of you may have heard they built an Ark that's um, as near as they can tell the size and scale of the original Ark. It's just simply amazing. If you ever get a chance to visit it, please do. Uh, I've been there twice now. And I remember the first time I saw it, I, I was expecting something large. You know, it's, it's an Ark after all. I've read the story of the flood in Genesis, so I know it's an Ark. But it was just so so vast. I had trouble imagining, could it really be that big? Well, it is. And it was still just as big this time too. And I walked around inside and I remember thinking again, this is just, the scale of this is just so overwhelming. And and to think that God would help someone build that in ancient times was just, was just stunning. Well, if you get a chance, visit the ark, because there's a lot more to that story than what I'm taking time to tell now, but you will find it very, very interesting and very helpful to uh, get a sense of that that God did back so long ago when he said to Noah, build an ark and uh, save your family and save my creatures. And he did. Well, Noah had a choice whether to do what God asked him to do, and he chose to do what God asked him to do. And still today, we have choices. And one of the things that seems like I'm always reminded about is that we may need to make good choices. And one of the things that I want to encourage us and I want you to encourage me to do is to make good choices. Remember in the Bible, when Joshua became the leader of God's people after Moses era had ended and Joshua stood before the people and challenged them that they needed to be strong and very courageous. And another time he challenged them and said they needed to choose who they would serve, whether they would serve the Lord or whether they wouldn't. And and the people, to their great credit, they responded that the Lord was God and they would serve him. They made a good choice. You may remember the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel when he stood before all the people that were assembled there and had challenged the prophets of Baal to this, um, how should we say, duel. And they they had it out there and God answered with fire and and before all of that happened, Elijah had said to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. Well, they were silent until after God answered with fire, and then the people acknowledged that God was God and that they better choose him, and they would choose him. And there are repeated instances through the Bible where people have to make a choice whether they're going to follow God or not. And we today face the challenge, the opportunity of choosing wisely and well. And we need to, to live lives of wisdom. We need to choose as the right way to go. We need to do that as well as we can. We are not infallible. We all will make mistakes, but we need to live lives of wisdom and choose wisely. Now, I want to think about that as it relates to something that's very important going on in our nation these days. Because it's election season. Well, the primary may have passed where you are. It's in, on August 23rd here in Florida. So we're kind of in the middle of all of that and in the excitement of all of that. But we need to think about how do Christians relate to this business of elections. See, I've long been convinced, and I hope you are too, that, that Americans have a responsibility to vote because we are Americans. Not 
even because we're Christians necessarily, because we're Americans, I think especially because we are Christians, we have a responsibility to vote. And the thing that has bothered me for many years is that too many Christians neglect that responsibility. They don't think it's important. They sometimes give me the sense that they think it's beneath them to get involved in that. I, I cannot wrap my mind around why they think it's beneath them. Uh, sometimes people don't just neglect it, but they actively resist participating. And they'll make all kinds of excuses, and sometimes they try to spiritualize their excuses in one way or another. And, and it's difficult for me to kind of understand where they're coming from. And I want to talk about why I think it's important for us, because if you've never thought about it this way, we need to think about it differently. Maybe your primary election season has passed, and so you're not going to be thinking about it as much until it comes time for the general election in November. But we need to think about it ahead of time so we can get our minds and our hearts right and not have excuses. You see, God gave us in this country the gift of liberty in a way that no other country has experienced it. We have experienced liberty, and we should be grateful for that. And we should we should work to preserve that and to defend that. And part of that gift of liberty is that we have the privilege of voting. Now, read the Bible. I'm sure you have. And they didn't have the opportunity to vote the way we understand it, the way we have it. Particularly in the New Testament, they lived under the thumb of Roman tyranny. They weren't asked to vote. They weren't expected to vote. They, nobody wanted to hear what they thought, and they weren't going to be voting on anything. They were just expected to comply with what the ruling authorities said to them. So when I consider that God has given us this great privilege, by contrast to so much of the world today and so much of the history before us in so many countries, it's difficult for me to understand why God's people resist that, because this gift is, is really remarkable. So instead of resisting, why don't we embrace what God has given us? Why don't we embrace the opportunities that God puts before us. Now, I know elections are difficult. Sometimes we call election season or campaign season uh, silly season. I understand that's difficult. I understand that the issues can be challenging and, and daunting sometimes, but that doesn't mean we have an excuse to stay out of it. It just means we need to, to apply ourselves and participate. I visited Abraham Lincoln's birthplace, and I'm often reminded that Abraham Lincoln said to us, the American people, that our country is a nation of the people, by the people, and for the people. And today, so many people say, well, the government's out of control. It's not for the people. I get that. I sympathize with that perspective. But you know, the government is not going to be for the people unless it's of the people unless it's us that are involved, unless we, the people, participate, unless we put into to government positions people we elect. So the people have to participate and elect them by the people so that those people that we elect will be for the people. So it's really an important dynamic that we participate. We should not shrink from that. And we have, a, I think, before God, we have a responsibility because of this great gift he's given us. And I think we're accountable to him when we fail to preserve that gift of liberty. Now, I know among many excuses, people will say, well, politics is dirty, it's messy, it's even evil. 
Well, you won't get any argument from me about that. Of course it, it is. It's, it's all of those things and probably more than most of us know. But that doesn't change the fact that we are citizens and we have a responsibility to our fellow citizens to participate and to be involved. And we have a responsibility before God to participate and be involved. So what I'm suggesting is that we need to be the very best of citizens. As Christians, we need to be the best of citizens. Now, maybe it'll help you to think of it this way. I think of politics as the pursuit of power. You know, people run for office because they want to have that responsibility. They have, as an office holder, certain opportunities to make decisions and other things related to whichever particular office they have. If they're a member of a legislature, they get to vote for, for new laws, vote them in or out. So they have legitimate responsibilities. And when they pursue those offices, they're pursuing the power to make those decisions to conduct that office. And we need righteous people to take that responsibility and make righteous decisions. If we don't have righteous people in those offices, we will never have a government that's for the people. Now, I don't seek political power. You probably don't either. I'm not interested in that. But we as Christians need to remember that our responsibility is citizenship. Our responsibility isn't necessarily politics because we're probably not going to pursue being elected. Some of us might. Maybe you will. That's fine. But all of us are citizens, and we all have responsibilities as citizens. And I think of citizenship as the pursuit of righteous government. Now, remember, I said politics is a pursuit of power, and we need righteous people to hold those positions of decision-making authority and power. As citizens, we need to pursue righteous government, which means we need to get the right kind of people in those positions so that our government will behave in an upright fashion. Okay, Pastor, so I hear you say all that, but it's still evil out there. Well, it's true. So consider a few things. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. Well, I don't think any of us disagree. There are evil things going on. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 2, warns us that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying his power. Uh, end of verse five. Well, I think that's right. And probably every generation has been able to look around and say, yep, that's going on now. It's certainly going on today. So I don't think any of us want to deny that we live in evil days and there's evil around us, of course. But that's all the more reason that we need to do something about it and we need to be involved. And we who are followers of God need to participate in what's going on. See, the Bible also says in Romans 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you see, it's not our prerogative to just simply say, well, everything's bad. Uh, it's just going to get worse. How bad could it get? I'm just going to leave it alone. Trust in God. Wait till I go to heaven, hopefully sooner rather than later. The Bible doesn't give us that, that option. The Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Now, I mentioned that it's election season in Florida, and and my, oh, my, I'm regularly surprised at what that brings out in terms of people's behavior and political maneuvering and, and disappointing things. Uh, there's no no end of that kind of stuff. I heard someone tell me some years ago, he said, doesn't matter who gets elected or wh- what kind of person you think they are, they will eventually disappoint you. Well, that's arguably true because nobody's going to do exactly what I think. And frankly, I shouldn't require that. And I can stand the disappointment, but it is kind of a difficult time. And and yet we still have the responsibility to overcome evil with good. I know people are frustrated by candidates, and I know a num- number of candidates personally here in, in my county, and I know what they're about and what, what they will do if elected. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for some followers of Jesus who are willing to put themselves out in that arena because it is not pleasant. It's personally demanding, draining. It's, it's, it's just a difficult process to run for office, but I'm glad they're doing it. And yet at the same time, I hear a lot of people, they get frustrated by candidates. And, and I've heard this over and over over the years. You might have even said it, how frustrating it, frustrating it is, and you end up voting for the lesser of two evils. Oh, boy, that's a that's a tough one, isn't it? End up voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, I understand why people say that. I understand how people try to evaluate the candidates. But I also understand that that is not ever going to happen that every candidate or even any candidate is going to line up exactly with what you think is the right perspective, the right behavior, anything like that. And yet we're still called to participate, to vote, to be involved. We still have that responsibility before God. And then I remember Romans, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I heard somebody suggest this perspective, and it's not original with me. I can't remember who said it, or I would give them credit. But this person suggested that instead of voting for the lesser of two evils, why don't we start evaluating our candidates? Even if none of them are perfect, why don't we start evaluating our candidates and vote for the candidate? Are you ready for this? Vote for the candidate that will lessen evil. Hmm, I thought that was really good. How do we overcome evil with good? Well, we if there's no perfect candidate, and there never will be, there are some really good ones that I know. But when we're struggling with that, what if we vote for the candidate that will lessen evil? Isn't that wisdom? I think that's wisdom. Since there's not going to be a perfect candidate, since there's not going to be one that completely lines up in every respect with the way I think he or she should be, I can still evaluate the candidates and say, well, I know what this one says he will do or she will do, and I know what this one says he will do or she will do, and clearly one of those will lessen evil in our world. Well, that's that's encouraging because I can sort that out and I can vote for the candidate that will lessen evil. You see, when we begin to think about it that way, there's no excuse for not voting. Because we can always figure out which candidate will lessen evil. You might say, well, they're both kind of bad in different ways. Okay, but which one will lessen evil? And there are some things like the abortion issue. 
it's very easy for me when someone is pro-abortion and someone is pro-life to say the one who's pro-life will lessen evil. And that helps me. Now, there's other times that it's more difficult than that. What if both candidates are pro-life? Well, then you got to sort that out. But you can always figure out which candidate will lessen evil. And it's our responsibility to overcome evil with good. So that's one way that we can do the good thing, maybe not the perfect thing, but we can do the good thing and lessen evil by the people we choose to put into office. Can you imagine how different the country might be if every voter would examine their heart before God and vote their Christian values in a way that elected candidates that were committed to lessening evil? Can you imagine how much better the country would be if evil was reduced instead of encouraged, even honored the way we do on some things? So as you think about the candidates, find out where where they are on some of these issues and vote for the ones that will lessen evil. I'm convinced that that's a great perspective to help us move forward and help us accomplish what God has called us to do. Well, I've enjoyed our time together. I'm so glad you're back and I'm back and we'll move forward in a different way next week, but uh, this at least gets us started in the right way. I hope you didn't find my travel reminiscences too uh, difficult. I especially hope you heard my encouragement to visit the Creation Museum and the Ark. If you're in that area, there are great places. And in the meantime, encourage yourself that we can be a part of lessening evil in our world, and we can follow God faithfully. He can stretch us in his direction, and we can be the kind of people who develop and live lives of absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, because we can trust him. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. See you next week.